We're going to be continuing today in our series of Reason. I love this series because it's a little more apologetic-based, and I'm an apologetic kind of guy. Um, I also like long walks on the beach. So if you guys would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be discussing uh, an issue that a lot of people have uh, in this world, even if they don't realize that they have it. Um, and it's called the problem of evil. It's a very big apologetic debate aspect. If you guys are familiar with any debates, if you watch debates between apologetics guys and atheists, which I'm sure all of you do in your spare time, um, then you'll be very familiar with some of the things that we'll be talking about today. If you don't watch those debates, that's okay. I'm going to familiarize yourselves with this, um, this whole topic. And we are going to solve the problem. I promise. No, I don't. Take that back, rewind. Uh, this will be a 50,000-foot overview of the issue. Um, if you want to get deeper, there are topics and things like that that people will go deeper into. Um, we have two things that you guys can do, two resources for you. One, uh, the notes of today's sermon uh, should be online currently uh, as we speak. And then also, so you can go there and see all of the words that I'm about to say. Uh, it'll be very helpful for you because I'm about to say a lot of words. Um, also, we have the Right Now Media, so if you haven't signed up for Right Now Media, make sure you email us, get, get in hold of me, get in touch with Margarita or info at pathwaycc.net and say, hey, I want Right Now Media, and we will get you signed up with that. They've got hundreds, if not thousands, of resources that you guys can look up, and they've got things from Ravi Zacharias and guys that are way more smart than me. Um, and most of what I say to you today is just stolen from them anyway. So um, you guys can go on there. But uh, if you guys have your Bibles turned open to Luke chapter 18, and one thing that we like to do here at Pathway is once you get it, stand up so we can show respect to God's Word. That is one small way that we can show respect. And we're going to start in verse 18 and just go to verse 19. It's a short one today, but it's okay. Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, and he says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good, no one is good but one, that is God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are good, and I pray that as we examine what that means, Lord, that today you would, your presence would be here with us. God, I pray that the words that I speak would be your words, the words that are spoken from this stage, Lord, always. We want it to be you, not us. So I pray today, Lord, that your presence would be here, that you would bless us with knowledge, but also application. Lord, we want it to touch our hearts. So Lord, I pray that you would be here with us today. In your name, amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Okay, so there won't be a lot of diversion from my notes today, just so you guys know, and a lot of you are going like, finally. Like, uh, but the reason why is because, like I said, there's a lot of uh, words here, so if it feels like I'm reading to you guys, it's because I am. Um, it's because I don't want to screw this up. So um, we're going to go fast, though, because there's a lot to cover. So again, I just want to emphasize the notes are online, so you can see every word that I'm about to say to you is in those notes. Uh, most every word. I won't say every word, because like that one wasn't in there. This one isn't in there. Anyway, okay, so first up we have the argument of the problem of evil, and what people will say is, is basically in, in all debates with apologetics, you have three points that people like to make. It's a if then, or if this, then this, therefore this. So you'll, you'll get kind of that, that rhythm as we go along. And so the argument is this. If God is all-knowing and all-good, 
then evil cannot exist. The second point, evil does exist. The third point, God does not exist. That is the argument that you'll hear from people that don't like the fact that there's evil in this world. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about atheists today, and I will say this, atheists are moral relativists, okay? So basically, they have a hard time coming to the, third, or the, the second conclusion because they don't think that evil really exists. And when I, when I say this, uh, well, we'll get to that in a minute. So there are many theories, and there's really too many to list on the problem of evil that try to explain how and why God allows evil to exist. The fact is that evil does exist, and we must be able to give an answer to people that come to us and ask us, why is this happening? Why does God let bad things happen to good people? Okay, there's a bunch of flaws in that statement, and we can't get to all of them today. Even Jesus says it there in, in verse 19, no one is good but one, and it is God. But if Jesus is saying that God is good and God really isn't good, do you guys see the problem? That makes Jesus a liar. And so, so we want to make sure that we as Christians have an answer for people who say, why do bad things happen to good people? The problem of evil, though, becomes their problem. It becomes their issue as, a philo as philosophical atheists and not our problem as Christian theists. If no ultimate foundation for ethics exists, as the atheists will say, then it is not up to you to prove that evil is problematic, but rather to point out that if there are no moral laws, then the atheists need not be bothered by evil in the first place. The true atheist, by definition, cannot have a problem with rape, murder, robbery, anything you guys can name. Sadly, we see these things actually uh, starting to be protected by the same groups. Uh, I just saw an article this last week, somebody posted on Facebook, uh, that there's a uh, professor at University of Texas that's actually giving, getting government funding to research child rape and how beneficial that is. How it is beneficial for young boys to sleep with older men. They're getting government funding for this. Uh, they're, they're not calling it pedophilia anymore. I don't know if you guys know that. It's young attraction or, or something like that. Uh, it's, it's, they're trying to change these laws. So we have to be on our guard first off. But, I mean, you name what's going on, everything is becoming normalized. Um, Again, rape, murder, all these things, they're saying, well, it's a psychological issue and we need to not punish people for having a psychological issue. We need to get them the help they need. But then even that becomes, well, they don't really need help because one love, free love. Um, I watched another video on, on a guy that went around and, and asked people about the one love idea and said, look, is it okay for a father to marry his daughter? And they said, well, yeah, it has to be because... You can, if you love, you love. Love is love. So as long as it's between two consenting adults, and now they're going to have to change that, because as long as it's between two consenting of people, and kids don't, can't make a choice for themselves, so as long as the adult says, do you guys see the problems with these things? It rolls big, and even, even some of the far left, the liberal people are, are saying, like, eh, we need to slow down a little bit. But these things are being normalized. So basically, we have a problem with morality. We have an issue with, is there moral law? 
And we're going to do another if this, then this, therefore this right now. So the, the moral argument says this. It says, moral law implies a moral law giver. The second point, there is moral law. The third point, a moral law giver exists, and that is God in our realm. Um, some people would say it is not. Turn to Romans chapter 2, if you will. And we're going to start in verses 14, verse 14 and 15. It says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things contained in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bringing witness, bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So here's what he's saying there. There's a bunch of fancy words in there that basically mean we all know what's right and wrong. It's written on our hearts what is right and wrong. And, and I, had, I was having this conversation with my brother one time, and he said, yeah, well, what about Lord of the Flies, right? You have these guys that are on, a, on an island, and they come up with their own laws, and it becomes okay to do certain things. What about the tribes in, in Africa? It's always tribes in Africa. I don't know why. It's either Hitler or tribes in Africa. But what about the tribes in Africa that to become the chief of the village, you have to murder the chief of the village? And once you murder him, you are now the chief. I told him this, and this is the best answer I can come up with, so maybe this will help you guys in your conversations. Just because it becomes okay doesn't mean we think it's right. Just because it becomes socially acceptable does not change the truth. Truth is unchangeable. And so if we go around murdering people, for a while, there's going to be people that are saying that's wrong. Eventually, if we get enough people on the bandwagon, and we're seeing this in a lot of different areas, and I think you guys can pick out five that you know of, as long as we get enough people on our bandwagon, then we can change what truth is. No, we can't. We can change what's acceptable. We can, say, we can change what is allowed, but we cannot change the truth of the situation. And, and Paul here is saying, the truth is written on our hearts. So I want to go back to point two of the moral law, which says there is moral law for just a second. And, and here's the thing. Is if you're going to say there is such a thing as moral law, you better be able to provide evidence that there is moral law. So here's some evidence that moral law exists. The first one is a pretty good one. To deny absolutes is self-defeating. The second one, does, mor does the moral relativist value his right to hold his opinion? Does he think that everyone should have that freedom or right, or just himself? Third, why are governmental laws of morality similar or identical if there are no moral absolutes? Most countries in this world say murder is not allowed. Uh, in fact, I can't think of one that doesn't, but... Uh, so anyway, moving on. Four, uh, ask the relativist if he thinks torturing babies for fun, murder, and rape is right. Because I guarantee you when you flip that table on him and say, okay, sir, I'm going to show up at your house tonight and I'm going to murder you and your family and I'm going to steal all of your possessions. That is what's true for me. He will say, you can't do that. Why can't I do that? Because it's wrong. Well, you have him. And finally, even if they deny morals with their words, they affirm them with their actions. They expect to be treated with dignity, respect, courtesy, and fairness by all. 
That's the big thing, right, is equality right now and, and acceptance and all of these things. That's great, but what you're saying then is there is a right and wrong. You can't say that there's no such thing as wrong if what you're saying is everyone should be treated equally, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. I'm saying that that's a totally correct thing, but I also believe in right and wrong. So you see the problem becomes theirs. Another way that we want to phrase, or we can phrase the moral argument is this. If God does not exist, and this is a little bit more of a, you wouldn't want to bring this up in an argument because it'll just cause more problems. Um, if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Objective moral values and duties do exist, therefore God exists. I mean, we cannot prove 100% that God exists, but we can look around and see certain things that make us understand that someone created a compass for us to follow. Someone created this world for us to make sure that we are going towards something in this. And, and I think that we can understand that as a group, as a whole, that God is the one who has given us these rules. Laws? I don't like rules. Rules makes it sound like we have to like, obey or else. Like laws, think. he gives us the moral compass. There are few people in this world, though they may be desensitized to their sin, there are few people in this world that would say what they're doing constantly is 100% right. Again, I'm saying desensitization is definitely there. But when they search their heart of hearts, when they actually want to know, I guarantee you that there's something in them that unsettles their hearts. Now, they might push that down, squash that feeling, but that doesn't mean that it's not right and wrong. Again, you cannot change truth. You guys still with me? Everybody awake? Do we need to get up and do jumping jacks? Okay. All right. So we're going to move on to some general theories to God's relationship to evil. So basically, we have a few different, I don't want to call them worldviews, but they're different views on how God can accept or allow or even, you know, in some, some people's opinion, promote evil. And so we want to look at some of these things. Um, the first one is illusionism. Okay, illusionism. There is, and this states this, there is no ex extra mental reality of evil. Evil is defined in terms of imbalance, error of the mind, or altogether illusionary. So basically, no such thing as evil. There is no evil, no matter what, no right and wrong. Um, it's, it's basically a, a problem up here that we see, that we think that what the other people, what the other person is doing is bad. But that's our problem, not theirs. So, so that's illusionism. So no such thing as e evil. So um, some examples of these. Um, I, these are old dead guys or else religions. You guys probably don't care, but I want to give them anyway. Some examples of these are uh, Parmenides, um, Zeno, Mary Baker Eddy. She uh, started uh, Christian science, if you guys are familiar with that at all. It's not a big deal up here, I don't think. But anyway, um, some forms of Buddhism... Uh, Hinduism would be like this. Uh, basically, it's, it's your state of being is, is what makes you feel like you're being evil, but evil isn't really there. Here's the answer to this problem or to the, this um, opinion. Um, denying the reality of evil does not eliminate the presence of evil. The same as saying is that there, there is no such thing as gravity. If I say there's no such thing as gravity and jump off the building, guess what I'm going to do? I'm a fall. Okay, so if I say that there's no such thing as evil, that doesn't make it truth, 
That just means that I'm denying a reality. And, and really, it becomes where the Bible talks about the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And I, I like that. There's a couple different ways. I mean, obviously, that's a good statement, but <laughs> it's Bible. It's good. Um, but but in, uh, you'll see in that verse, uh, the there is no God. There is, is is italicized, and a lot of times italicized mean in your Bible means that it wasn't there in the original text. Um, it, it was followed after in some of the lesser translated areas, and they chose to keep it in. Um, and so actually, it can be translated like this. The fool has said in his heart, no, God. Get, get, get the difference there? It's interesting because we follow him. Like, we follow him. So I don't want to be foolish and say no to him. Doing a lot of research on Abraham lately and just the idea of I follow God no matter what. He is my guide. He is who I listen to. He is who I follow. And guys, I don't have to worry about that. I'm not following Trump as my moral guide. I'm not following Trudeau as my moral guide. I'm not following any of you people as my moral guide. I'm following Jesus Christ as my moral guide. And in my heart, I can see that Jesus Christ was not doing evil things. I don't have to question him. He wasn't going, hey, get yourself a harem and have 67 wives. And I, is that right or wrong? Nope, I don't have to worry about that because everything that Jesus did was 100% pure and right. So I don't have to worry about the weird <laughs> that, that some people like to preach as truth. All right, I want to continue these theories. I'm sorry I took way too long on that. We'll, we'll keep moving faster because we've got a lot to go through. All right, the next one is dualism. And so dualism says this. Um, it acknowledges the reality of evil in the world. Um, in Zoroastrianism, say that ten times fast, it is understood in terms of an eternal, never-ending cosmic struggle between the good and the evil. The good would be Ahura Mazda, and the evil would be Angra Manga. So, yeah, I totally slaughtered those. Don't worry about it. Basically, what that says is God is incapable of dealing with evil. So, it's not that, that evil doesn't exist. It's that God is in, in, this, in this power struggle between evil, and, and sometimes he wins the battle, and, and sometimes evil wins the battle, and, and he's not capable of just squashing this problem. He is constantly trying to fight it. It robs the theistic God of his supremacy, his purity, and his ability to defeat, once and for all, evil. So some exa examples of this is the Zoroastrianism and the, uh, whatever, I'm not even saying that second one. Read it on the notes. All right, the response to this is the theistic God is sovereign over evil and, it is, and is in no way hamstrung by the process of evil in the finite world. God created everything, and he can take care of everything. He has the power to defeat it. Now, that opens up a whole other slew of questions of if he has the power to defeat it, why doesn't he defeat it? And so we're going to talk about that, but just not yet. So hopefully I'm keeping you on the edge of your seats. All right, so let's move on. Um, the determinism, thank you. This maintains that evil is real and that God had no other option to his creative potential since God is a necessary being, his creation, our world, uh, necessarily issues from the same way ripples in a pond necessarily flow outward from a central point of contact. Okay, what that means uh, summed up. God is ultimately responsible for performing evil acts. 
when we look at it, it means that God is the one who started evil. Now, evil emanates out from that. He may not be responsible for this part of the evil, but he's responsible for the source. He is responsible for creating the source of evil. Um, some examples of that, uh, Plotinus, Benedict de Spinoza. Um, our response to this is free will exists, and we are responsible on how we use our free will. This deals with the issue of what do you guys do with evil? Look, it is our fault. When evil is in our lives, and I'm not talking about sickness, and I'm not talking about a tornado that comes through town, that's not our fault. But it originally started with Adam in the garden. He sinned, he chose to sin, he took us outside of the protection of God's perfection. And he said, I want to know the difference between good and evil. And so God said, you get that. But now, we suffer the consequences of that, and so does our entire world. I, I mean, it's just, it, it is, in a sense, a good way to say the ripple effect, because it definitely started at one point and has emanated out, and we're, see, we're living in, in however many thousand years after Adam. I'm not going to get into that fight with you guys, but however many thousands of years after Adam, we are living in this fallen world where disease is rampant. Nonsense like child rape is getting promoted and protected. We live in this world where a guy can walk into a church and kill 12 people, and they're saying that it's, it's his mind, nothing else. Well, hey, there's my baby. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, guys, we live in this world of evil, and we live in this world, and what we do with our own free will, I have the choice on what I do every morning. I have the choice of whether I'm going to wear clothes today or not. Sometimes I choose the opposite. <laughs> Guys, I have the choice on whether I'm going to love my wife this morning or not. I have the choice of whether I'm going to love Jesus or not today. God, I, I like to say this, God is a gentleman. He's not going to put you in a headlock and, and make you do anything. It is completely up to you. So if you decide to lie... If you decide to cheat, if you decide to steal, if you decide to murder, if you decide to do those things, guess what? That's on you. It's not on God for allowing it to happen. You guys with me still? Good. I don't even care if you are. All right. Next one is impossibilism. Say that ten times fast. Impossibilism. Evil is real. God created the world freely along with uh, creatives who possess freedom. Uh, sorry, creatives. Some of you are creatures who possess freedom, uh, self-determination. However, God did not know, uh, did not or cannot know the future contingent events. Therefore, it is impossible for God to know how free creatures would use their freedom. Since God controls all things that are not free, it would be impossible to control evil, which springs from human freedom. So all that summed up says, God's knowledge and sovereignty are limited to my choice. Rob came up with that one, so you can give him a hand if you want to. God's sovereignty and knowledge are limited to my choice. So basically what it's saying is God created us and he, he did this great thing, but because we are free will creatures, he doesn't know what we're going to choose. He doesn't know how we're going to act. He doesn't know if we're going to do evil things, and if we do evil things, he can't control us because we have free will, and if he controlled us, then we no longer would have the free will to make our mind up on what we wanted to do. Does that make sense? 
Are we following here? Okay, some, some examples of this are openness theology, Isaac August Dorner, Richard Rice, Clark Pinnock, Thomas J. Ord. Some of those guys aren't dead, so you, know, you might be familiar with them. Our response to this is God is not in time. God, he sees everything now and allows us free will in spite of seeing it all right now. Okay, I, I read a great article. It's by Norman Geisler, and it's way deeper than I think that we can get into today. But if you want to go to normangeisler.com, you should definitely do that and read his article on problem of freedom. And you can find out, he talks, he, he just puts it great. God doesn't have foreknowledge. God does not have foreknowledge because he sees everything now. He doesn't need to have foreknowledge. He sees everything in this moment right now. So it's not that he's looking ahead to your life and like, oh, you're going to make some mistakes. It's like, oh, you made that mistake. Oh, you made this mistake. But guess what? You're in heaven now. Like, there's, eternity is a weird thing because it's outside of time, and I definitely don't want to get into that because you guys will fire me because I've got some weird, cool, fun things to think about. But, guys, we have the choice... God doesn't control us. He is okay with letting us have the choice because beings that have the choice, it means that when we choose to love him, when we choose to follow him, it actually means something. It not just means something to him, but it means something to us because there's a sacrifice involved when we finally say, not me, you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That means something. That takes sacrifice. That takes putting him in a, in a prominent position in our lives. A, not just prominent, a preeminent position in our lives. So when we do that, it means something that we have the free choice to do that. It means something to God that we did that for him. So that also means, though, that it means something to him when we choose the opposite. It means something when we choose to do evil. Because God is perfect and he cannot have communion with anything that is less than perfect. So when we choose to sin against him, outside of the umbrella of his grace in his son Jesus Christ, when we choose to sin against him, we are choosing to step outside of the protection of God's grace. And there is a consequence for that. We don't like the word consequence in our modern society, but guess what? There's consequences for what you do. Man, we got to get moving. You guys still with me? Everybody take a deep breath. All right, finitism is next. And this asserts that evil is real because God is limited in power and or goodness. He therefore cannot overcome it. And again, this is very similar, if you guys remember, uh, to uh, dualism. Uh, but finitism, it basically says that God is powerless to stop evil. Like, it's a fire that's raging out of control. Um, there's some old dead guys and some not-so-old, not-quite-dead guys that are examples of this. You guys can look on the notes. Um, so the answer to this is many scriptures discuss God's infinite power and hatred for evil. We have many examples for, for the promotion of goodness and, and the rejection of evil. We don't have God saying evil is good. Interestingly enough, to go back to Abraham, the closest that we have is when, Ab when God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. But guys, Abraham knew who God was, and he knew that it was strange because there's no way that the God of the universe, the God of Abraham, would ask him to sacrifice his son. 
So there's, there's some interesting stuff in that, in that faith, in the, the faith that's accounted to him as righteousness, things like that. But guys, we have a God who doesn't ask us to do bad things. Like I said, I, I can have complete rest and complete knowledge that God is not going to ask me to go murder any of you guys. It's just not going to happen. And you guys talk about, oh, what, what about war? Look, we're talking about percentages here, and the majority of us are not going to be asked to kill anybody in this lifetime. If you're in the military, we can talk about it, and I would love to talk about it because you guys know me to be a military guy. I don't have a problem with war. What I do have a problem with is just killing. I do have a problem with saying that God is not present with us in everything that we do. I do have a problem when we say that God is not capable of stopping or overcoming evil. Because that limits my God to something that takes away my hope in this world. And God is a God of hope. All right, two more, and then we are done with this section. All right, so the next one is malevolent. Um, and this says, uh, though this view is rare, uh, it, it, evil is real. Uh, God in some way enjoys the privation, pain, and suffering of his creatures. Uh, so basically, God takes pleasure in, in evil. Um, seeing us suffer, seeing us go through pain, uh, seeing us go through loss, somehow uh, makes God happy. And that he, he actually is more glorified in it. And, and there gets to be some weird um, beliefs. Again, the examples for this, because it's so rare... Um, the examples would be people who perhaps have been emotionally scarred um, or are disgruntled against God. Um, so people who have a bone to pick, essentially. Um, and, and guys, I want to be clear on this. Though it is rare, how often do we get ticked off at God? Uh, though it is rare to, to say that God is enjoying what we're going through, how often do we think that he's just putting us through a trial because? Um, guys, oftentimes I don't know why I'm going through a trial in the midst of the trial. But all the time I can re rely on the fact that God is good and he will get me through the trial. And there are trials in my life that I don't know what he was preparing me for. I don't know what he was trying to teach me. I don't know what was trying to be said. But I do know who the character of God is. And God is not some, again, malevolent dictator who is just throwing down lightning bolts in you guys' lives, in our lives, and saying, dance, chickens. Like, he's just not doing it. <sighs> okay. Somebody draw me a cartoon of that one. <laughs> but guys, that's not who God is. And you know how I know that's not who God is? Because this book is written on my heart. I read this book and I see who God is. I see that his heart breaks for us. He is grieved that we go through what we go through. That we choose to go through what we go through. Because again, we have the free will choice in this. And God's heart is broken when pain and suffering come to his kids. And I know that from his word. 
All right, finally is realism. And this is most Christians. Uh, realism asserts that evil is a real lack, a corruption or privation in good substances. Though Christ has defeated evil judicially, God as an omnipotent and omnibenevolent being can and will in the future defeat evil practically. So Jesus on the cross has defeated evil in a judicial sense. And I don't have the time to get into all of the implications of what it means to have Jesus having died on the cross judicially. But understand, we were in a courtroom accused guilty of our sins waiting for the judgment. And Jesus came in and said, I will pay their fine. Jesus came in and said, no, I'm taking that away. And so judicially speaking, we are no longer underneath evil. Now, practically speaking, evil things still happen to us. Some of you guys might be experiencing them right now in this moment. So I cannot say, practically speaking, that God has taken care of evil yet. But again, in this book, we have assurance that God is God, He is capable, and He is not just capable, He's willing and wanting to take care of the evil problem. And so we faithfully follow Him, understanding that our patience produces faith. So, guys, when we go through that, we can look to Him and say, God, I have faith that You know what You're doing. I don't know what You're doing. But that's okay, because I am not the creator of the universe. I love in Job, God just sits down with Job and says, we're going to have a chat here, bucko, and I've let you had your say, and I'm going to talk to you now, and you're going to listen. Were you there when I created the clouds and the stars? Were you the one who knows the seasons? Are you the one who can tame Leviathan? Are you the one who can tame Behemoth? Like, all of these things. Like, like just clear this up for me, Job. Who are you, and who am I? God is capable, even though sometimes he allows or permits us to go through the hard times because those hard times he knows the end because again he doesn't have foreknowledge he has now knowledge and he can see our end and he knows what it's going to be like when we reach that day and he says well done my good and faithful servant enter into your rest praise him for that okay i gotta keep moving because we do have five questions regarding evil we might not make them all um, so there's a lot of them. Uh, a question regarding evil, uh, regarding the source of evil. And the question goes like this. If God can create only good and perfect things, how then can evil come from what is totally perfect and good, whether it be from God or, its cre or his created order? Um, the answer is this. And again, guys, if you're trying to write these down, just wait or get online and go to the notes. All of these are word for word. So just you can save your hands some cramping. All right, the answer says this, although it is true that God initially created everything good, one of the faculties of God created in man was the ability to freely choose. Therefore, evil resulted as a byproduct of man's freedom. As such, God is an indirect cause of evil. Uh, since he created man with the, only the potential of evil, however, the immediate cause of evil is mankind who chose to sin. All right, and we've kind of gone over that. I'm going, I'm not, there are five questions. I'm going to do two for you guys because there's some other things that I want to talk about, go to the notes. 
Um, so the next one we're going to do is the, the longevity of evil, um, and we talked about this in a minute. Uh, the, the question is, the existence of an all-powerful and all-good God appears to be at odds with the per, uh, persistence of evil. The fact that evil remains active in the world is an indicator that God cannot or will not, again the malevolence, um, destroy evil. Uh, the answer is this, since God possesses all power and goodness, he will defeat evil in the future. Uh, Simply because evil is not eradicated today does not necessarily mean it, it will not one day be overcome. God did defeat evil uh, positionally through Christ and will defeat evil practically at his second coming. And we just talked about that. But I want to make sure that we understand that it is very important that we know what Christ's sacrifice did for us. When Jesus died on that cross, it removed us from the wrath of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we are removed from the effects of the world. What it means is that we will not spend eternity in hell and we will never experience the wrath of our Creator. So when we die, we get to enter into our rest. When we die, we get to go be with Him for eternity. And praise God for that because the antithesis of that is hell. The opposite of that is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Guys, we live for purpose, we live for God, we live for Jesus, and, and if you're sitting here and you're just wrestling with this idea, that's okay, because all of us wrestle with it. And it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to have God wrestle with you. And I think that we need to allow Him to do what He needs to do in our lives. Okay, so I, I don't want to do the fifth question as badly as I want to. I don't want to. Um, so we're just going to go into the conclusion. No matter how we slice it, no matter how, if we like it or not, evil is real and all around us. And so what does that mean for us today in this moment? What it means is that we press into God. Again, guys, the hope that I have doesn't come from me being an awesome guy because I'm not. The hope that I have doesn't come from me just being a go-getter and like a, I'm living in denial. Uh, well, maybe I am, but, but that's neither here nor there. The hope I have comes from this book right here. Like this beautiful love letter that God wrote to his kids to give us encouragement in the time of darkness. To give us our hope in the time of darkness. So, so what does it mean when my house burns to the ground? What does it mean when my kid dies of cancer? What does it mean when my, my mother and father break up and have a divorce? What does it mean when all of those things happen? It means that God is good and he knows what he's doing. And sometimes that's really hard to say because sometimes we don't understand. I love the song It Is Well. You guys know from the last time that I uh, taught, I really love that song. I like that song that we sang this morning because it talks about the fact that regardless of where I am physically, positionally I am in Christ. I cannot say it is well with my soul unless I have Jesus Christ in my heart, at least not personally. You might be able to if you don't have Jesus. You might be like, eh, everything's fine and, and life just sucks. And, and that's the way it is. And I know people that are like that. It's like, yeah, it's not evil. It's just life is terrible. And we get through it somehow with some Jack Daniels or, or whatever. <laughs> and guys, let me express to you that Jesus is a much better solution not because like drinking is bad and God is good. I'm not saying that. I'm saying Jesus is just a more complete solution. You can drink away your troubles here. You can deny away your troubles. You can, you can 
go listen to self-help gurus and, and whoever else you want to listen to. But guys, that doesn't fix your heart. That doesn't fix the problem that you are, there is a gap between you and God that you cannot dream of bridging by yourself. So let me encourage you now to allow Jesus to bridge that gap and go to him with your issues. Go to him with the troubles. Go to him with the pain and the suffering and the evil and say, God, I need you to deal with these things so that I can have hope tomorrow. So that today I can feel your presence with me right now, here in this moment. And guys, you know what's awesome about God? It's, it's a big F word. Uh, he is faithful. He is faithful to meet you where you are at. Always. Regardless of your faithfulness. In spite of your faithfulness. Or lack thereof. God is faithful to meet you and be here with you in this moment. That doesn't mean everything will be better. That just means you'll have someone in your ring that is the most powerful being in the world that has said, guess what? I'm going to take care of it. The worst thing that can happen to you is death. <laughs> God's meeting us there too. I like that. My last breath here is just my first breath in heaven, right? And so guys, we, we can take hope in that. We can take hope in knowing that God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal, everlasting, perfect, holy, righteous living and life abundantly. I'm going to invite the, the praise team to come back up. And also, while the, while the worship team is coming, if, if the uh, prayer team would come as well, um, we do like to have prayer up front here for people that are, that are going through the struggle, that are going through the pain. And maybe you're not going through the struggle or the pain. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with. Maybe everything is fantastic and you just want to praise Jesus. Great. Let's do that too together. We do this because we are a family. We do this because we love one another. We do this because evil doesn't win in this body. We don't want to see evil win. We want to see God have victory over it. So if you need the prayer, please come forward. If you don't need the prayer, that's fine. Um, we're going to worship one more time, and, and then I'll let you guys go. So let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have really written it out for us that, that you win. The end of this world is coming, and Lord, we, we don't know how it's going to come out for us. We don't know how it's going to change. We, don't know, we really don't know the outcome, but you do. And God, we can take comfort in knowing that your hand is in our midst, that your hand is in our lives, that you protect us and that you promote us. Lord, you, you, you trade your beauty for our ashes. God, thank you so much that as ugly as this world gets, we still have the hope of knowing that Jesus died on that cross, that he forgave us of our sins, and that, Lord, all we have to do is believe on him and follow after you, and that's it. God, you take care of everything else from there. Thank you for the trials. Thank you. It means you're teaching us, that you're not leaving us where we were, that you're bringing us to a whole new level. 
So God, I pray for those of us that are in the trial right now, Lord. I pray that you would provide comfort. Maybe not a way out, but comfort. Lord, hope in the future. A light at the end of the tunnel. I pray that we would run to you. That we would take comfort in you and that we would find rest in your arms. And that, God, you would powerfully change us to be proclaimers of your glory, to be ambassadors of your message. We thank you so much that you've given us that opportunity. We pray that we would not squander it. Go before us, Lord. Go before us. We love you and we thank you. In your name, amen.